Welcome to Six in the Mix. A band of brothers talking faith, family, sports, and politics. Join us on our journey. Welcome to episode 25. We've got five in the mix tonight. We've got Matt, Don, Ben, Jeremy, and Ryan. We're going to talk a little bit about schools, a little bit about uh, a favorite radio personality. Um, as always, feel good story of the week. Uh, fix your eyes and uh, another version of uh, Don and the initials game. Uh, we're looking forward to that. So we're going to turn it over to Jeremy. Get us going. All right, gentlemen. As you know, our president, Joe Biden, came to our neck of the woods, Milwaukee, and the Milwaukee press basically rolled out the red carpet for this guy, and uh, and he did a town hall, and he was thrown some uh, some interesting questions. One of Biden's comments during a recent CNN town hall uh, here about three days ago, four days ago, something like that. Um, they they said that this marked the clearest statement yet on his school reopenings, and Biden had pledged in December, that they would reopen, quote, the majority of our schools in his first 100 days. But since facing the increasing questions about how he would define this, there's been maybe some questions about whether or not he's going to actually achieve this goal. So when he was he was questioned about this, the press, his press secretary basically said, OK, we define opening schools K to eighth grade one day a week. And then what happened was the White House, of course, got some pushback for this. So Biden comes out and basically makes this statement. I said open a majority of schools in the K through eighth grade because they're the easiest to open, the most needed to be open in terms of impact on children and families having to stay at home. That was a direct quote from uh, President Biden. Uh, he said his comments uh, by White House, his White House press secretary early in the month, where she said, basically, uh, we just had a mistake in our communication. And so what I said there uh, was like the, the bottom end. So we need to, you know, we, we have room to grow. OK. When asked if the nation would see kindergarten through eighth grade back to in-person learning five days a week, Biden said this, quote, we will be close to that at the end of the first 100 days. He said, he expected many schools who had pushed to stay open through the summer, but suggested reopening would take longer for high schools due to the risk of the, the contagious aspect of it. Contagion is what the word he used among older students. So I guess the question for, for you guys tonight is to answer this. Should, should, we, should we open schools and uh, make your case if we should? And if we shouldn't open schools, I guess give the the reasons why. And I'm going to go last because uh, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of this segment, so I'm going to. So I'm going to throw it out there, and let's let's just go with uh, starting with Matt. Then we're going to go to Ben, Don, then Ryan. And so uh, quickly, just kind of make your case, and and let's see where you're at on this. Yeah, pretty simple for me. Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, my daughters have been fortunate to go to schools that have been open and done the social distancing and and things have gone well they've been one of the few in the few in the state that have gone full time for the whole year uh they believe they may be the only ones as far as this uh this is a 6th through 12th grade so my oldest three daughters i think if you just again <laughs> it's so funny every side says look at the science but if they truly looked at the science you would see that 
the reason they're not going back in schools has nothing to do with the science. It has everything to do with with power and control and and just a fear and probably more money, uh, more things guaranteed for uh, for certain teachers. And by no means am I trying to um, play down the risk to teachers. They've got to obviously take that in. But from a transmissibility perspective, uh, students don't uh, are not really seen to infect themselves a whole lot. Their risk level is extremely low, and even passing from kid to adult, especially with the vaccinations targeting. The teachers, um, at least in Ohio, we've uh, our the teachers at the schools have already been vaccinated. I think they, they they need to be open. I think the the mental pain on our on these these kids being out of school is just uh, is is just catastrophic. And I don't I don't I don't think that's an overstatement. All right, yeah, I'll take a crack at this one. I I totally agree with Matt. I think schools should be open. Uh, I'll throw an anecdote and a statistic at you. Recently, the CDC came out with a report saying that mental health-related hospital emergency room visits have gone up in the last year 24% for children ages 5 to 11 and 31% for adolescents ages 12 to 17. I mean, the mental condition of kids in this country right now is worse than it's ever been. And It could be related to a lot of things. There are a lot of tentacles to the pandemic, but I think a big one is all of the implications of not being in school and being with their peers and having positive influence of the teachers and and the things that they have under more normal conditions. And my my anecdote story would be that I uh, spoke with a public high school principal from our area a couple of weeks ago, and he said that his teachers are still trying to get grades and homework in from their students from the first quarter of this school year. There are kids that have just been totally gone the whole school year so far. They've not checked in once online or through any phone calls or anything. They just can't even find these kids right now. And in our neck of the woods anyway, some of the larger school districts have been out of school now for basically a year and the kids are just gone. I think the toll that that is taking is a greater risk than the risk of the pandemic. I know for our school that my boys go to, we've had um, school in session all of this school year. There was one point where they closed down the high school for two weeks to let um, a few cases happened in the high school. And so they closed it down to let things kind of settle. And then they started up again. And I think that's a much better approach. If there's some cases that you get in a school, close down a grade or close down any close contacts and, and let it clear out and then start back up again, that I don't see the justification for having it being closed permanently or long-term for the entire, you know, universal school district. Good thoughts. Uh, Don, how about you? I think we'd all agree that, I think we're all going to agree. I hope we all agree that, that we need these kids back at school. And I think that if you're only, if you're really, if you're really a socialist, you, you, there's no reason for you not to want these kids back at school. I mean, I just can't think of uh, a plausible an explainable reason of why not having these kids back in school is a bad idea. And um, like we mentioned last week and talked briefly about last week, just the mental uh, side alone um, and the impact that this is going to have and in, in not just in the present, but in the years to come is going to be astronomical. And kids are, 
are like uh, Ben said, they're just checking out. I mean, I've heard, I've heard stories. My kids come tell me they tell about stories. You know, we got kids logging into their Zoom Zoom classes and they sign in as their name is buffering. <laughs> <laughs> that's great I gotta, I gotta try that oh, at work man. but seriously yeah they're just they, or they take a selfie of themselves and then they put it on the zoom call and then they just have that picture up of themselves and they're all doing whatever they're if i was a kid and i had zoom meetings 24 7 for school and you know that's all i did man i'd be i'd be playing video games all day every day there, there's no there's no chance i would be i mean i'd probably be look like i was in school but on my other screen, I would be playing, thinking Overwatch Two. I don't care. I mean, just doing something other than than school, and just it's it's amazing to me. The unions, I think, the teachers' unions really have the power here, and are are you know directing um, and controlling Biden's uh, policy changes, and and so it's incredible to me to think. And we, I said we talked about this last week, is that that it's safer to have these kids in school than not right now i mean to think about that i mean it's safer that these kids be in school rather than be at home where they probably have a better chance of getting COVID or spreading it to to an older uh an older or elderly person that's uh more you know prone to have have, have bad results if they have if they have COVID. yeah good thoughts there all right ryan you're up well i you guys have said Plenty of good things. I, I don't really have a horse in this race since we homeschool, uh, so I, I don't have much to, to add. I just want to say, come on, man, and follow the science. So I think if we if we just use those principles, we should be fine. Though I agree that teachers unions do seem to have a lot of power, and they're not making a lot of friends. Did you guys see that video of the uh, San Francisco school board the other day that came out? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. so it's – it's a sad state of affairs. So I, I don't have the right answer. Um, we have one daughter who does a co-op. So she does meet with other students for a science class on Mondays. And that's gone on all year fine. So, I, I, so I'm sure it can be done relatively safely. So to me, it makes sense to have kids back in school. But you all are living it. I, I, I'm not. So I don't really feel you know, like an expert on this one. Yeah, so so I'm going to take you back just about three years ago, and in Wisconsin, generally speaking, we we pipe in a few snow days because of you know inclement weather and whatever the case may be, and we're we're concerned about kids' safety and really should a kid be standing out at a bus stop in 20 below, you know, uh, with wind chills, you know, beyond that, and you know, or the the heavy snow or whatever the case may be. So so we think about things like that. We want to keep them home um, just simply because we can't get the buses out. And we don't want kids to be standing in the cold and having those issues. Or I, there was a stretch of like six years or maybe seven years that I did not call one snow day. But I did call off school for two days on two separate occasions because of the flu. I'm not comparing the flu and COVID. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just saying as being in the school and being part of the administrative team, there came a point that a third of our our students were actually just not able to come to school for like a week. And it was affecting some of our staff as well. And it was just common sense to say, okay, we just need to stop. We need to clean some things and we need everybody just to go to rest and get some, get some sleep, not be rubbing into each other and bumping into each other and spreading germs. So, so I canceled for two days. We came back and had a great success rate. That's the flu. 
I did the exact same thing about two weeks ago because of COVID. And it was a little longer of a stretch, but we had some active cases. We had some staff with active cases. We were transparent and we just wanted to say, look, this is a very brief pause in our education, but we need to do it because we want to, we, we want to, we want to be careful with this and we don't want to keep spreading things and we want people to get better. And we made that pause and we came back in and, and we have been in face-to-face class learning for all of our school uh, year from August to now with the blessing of our local uh, health department. But knowing that their contact tracing and their communication with us and us with them has been uh, above board and transparent. And you know what? We've, we've done just fine. And uh, I think that our students have excelled and they are looking so forward to more interaction. And I think they're at another level than some of these other schools that, like Don, you said, that are on Zoom all day long and they don't get that personal interaction with the teacher. They don't get that personal interaction with other students. And they're driven to all kinds of all kinds of uh, you know uh, bad things in their lives uh, just from not being around a, another person and having that familial touch. So I'm I'm I make the case like all of you we should be back in. But I, what I want to say to the Biden team is that if your standard for being back in school is maybe a little bit more than just one day a week, most of the country is doing that. We're, we're already we're already doing that. And there are smart people who are thinking through this in a health conscious way, and we're getting it done. We don't need more, more uh, regulations on this to hamper us getting out of things like this. And so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say, look, there are some extreme cases, and we need to be careful with those. But if it's if it's being guided by a teacher union or power that is governmental and that is an overreach, then that needs to be wiped out. And we just need to get rid of that. And we need to be common sense, smart, decent Americans who are going to have the character to love our kids enough to give them what they need. And that's disciplined instruction in the classroom. And that's what I'm campaigning for. So there's my two cents. I guess uh, we'll end on that, and we'll uh, we'll throw it back to Don for some initials game. But hopefully, the initials aren't uh, uh, back to school uh, for this next segment because I'm I've already won. Well, Jeremy, I got before we get into the game. I got to ask you: um, is uh, is the critical race theory um, a part of your uh, curriculum? No, I mean, is I mean that's got to be part of it, right? <laughs> it is not part of our curriculum, but I can tell you this: I can tell you this. That we do bring in some of these some of these curriculums and we evaluate them from a biblical worldview because our students need to know what's out there. They need to know what their competition is. They need to know what's being taught. And I I'm I love bringing in some of that stuff because I'm not afraid of it, because if you have a right foundation, you're going to be able to see that in a for what it is. And you're going to be able to um, have wisdom to be able to deal with that. Uh in in Second uh, Peter chapter one, he talks about Peter talks about the fact that we need to increase in our knowledge. Well, knowledge, and just before that, he says virtue. That's excellence, and the word for knowledge is literally everything that has to do with God. So, if we have a biblical worldview and we're looking at it in an excellent way, those kinds of things they don't bother me at all. I'll bring them into our school all day long, and all we're going to do is evaluate them and show students and their families how 
poorly this represents the actual design that our creator God has given us in an education and a, and a, a sense of the family and everything else. So yeah, we do look at stuff like that, but we don't look at it as we're going to teach this and indoctrinate them with this garbage. We're just going to say, here's what it is. Now let's match that up with truth. So it's, uh, you know, it gives us some, it gives us a lot of material. I'm telling you what, and it is fun to watch these kids' worldviews kind of get shaped in a fact that's in a perspective of a, a biblical context. So, and ultimately, those kids have to, the students have to deal with it. They're going to want, they're the ones that are going to have to live out this coming generation with this stuff. I'm just going to be uh, an old man watching it happen, you know, in my bunker. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. That's fantastic. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. You guys uh, uh, got your buzzers ready. Of course, your buzzer is your name. Uh, we are going to be giving you out eight items again. And the first one to ring in with their name as the answer will get one point. And as of, we've had like, two weeks of the initials game. And of course, Ben has won both of them. So uh, we are minus Ethan. So we are, uh, it's up to Ryan, Matt, and Jeremy to, uh, to uh, take this guy down. You guys up to the task? Let's do it. Probably not. Yep. Come on, Ryan. Good luck. I've got Ben muted, so we're good. <laughs> keep good keep her moving. All right. The initials. The initials for for the game is M L. The initials are M L. All right. Here we go. Item number one. Clue number one. Introduced to the public in the 1100s in England. Clue number two. A cheaper alternative to the publication of bands. Clue number three took firm roots in America during the colonial period. Ryan. Go ahead, Ryan. Martial law. No, I'm sorry. Mm. Now, so, so is Ryan, he can't guess anymore on this one. Is that correct? That is correct. He be oh, that's, that, that's too bad. <laughs> Clue number four. Clue number four. Blood tests were at one time required before this could be obtained. Ben. Go ahead, Ben. Marriage license. (laughs) That is correct. That is correct. (laughs) Wow. Believable. Wow. All right, item number two. 
Clue number one. Inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 2003. Clue number two. Began his professional playing career in 1955. Clue number three. Ordained as a Christian minister in 1986. Clue number four. Known as the Clown Prince. I'm guessing this wasn't on the last dance, huh, Ben? (laughs) No, it was not. Clue number five. Considered by Wilt Chamberlain to be the best player of all time. I'm going to kick myself. What in the world? Last clue, clue number six. First applied to the Globetrotters in 1954 at age 22, finally being chosen in 1955. No answers in five, four, got nothing. Three, two, one. All right. The answer. The answer is Meadowlark Lemon. Oh, Globetrotters. Wow. Wow. So Will Chamberlain called him the best basketball player of all time? Of all time, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, was he related to Chet Lemon, the great Detroit Tigers outfielder? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why why he didn't play in the NBA or what his story was, but... um, yeah, Will Chamberlain, and I know Michael Jordan paid 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 a special tribute to him as well at some point. And, but wow. yeah, he's a he, he has a he he died in two thousand five, and has a really cool ministry for kids out in in uh, out in the Air, Arizona area. Good one, cool. Don. That was nice. All right, well done. All right, stumped us, stumped you guys. All right, Ben still with one. Item number three, clue number one. Invented in 1953 by Leonard Stern and Roger Price. Clue number two. More than 110 million copies have been sold. Clue number three. The creators came up with its name after overhearing a conversation between an actor and an agent. Clue number four. Penguin Random House currently owns the rights to this. Clue number five. There is a hip-hop artist, and there was a game show named this. Wow. Last clue, clue Uh. number six. A noun, verb, and exclamation may be part of its format. Four, 
three, two, one. <sighs> wow. It's up to you again, guys. Mad libs. Oh, oh mad libs. We need Ethan here. He would save the day on some of these. He would have gotten that. Seriously. Uh, wow. Got some deep tracks here, Don. All right. All right. Ben still with one. Item number four. Clue number one. Some historians think she may have been bipolar. Clue number two. Gave birth to four sons and only one outlived her. Clue number three. Spent some time at the Peterson's house. Peterson's down in Branson. (laughs) Clue number four. She was born on December 13th, 1818 in Lexington, Kentucky. I need the first name. Doggone it. Ryan. Go ahead, Ryan. Uh, Mary Todd Lincoln. That is correct. I was going to throw out Mary, but I just did not know. Doggone it. Mary does he Lincoln. get uh, extra credit for the uh, middle initial, or does that disqualify him from winning? Because he said <laughs> actually three names. The T was not included, so I'm I'm just curious. I'll bring that up with the review board uh, nice. this week. Yeah. And, uh, well, yeah, we'll take a look at that. That was a little, little suspect to me. Yeah. Ryan, which one Which one gave that away to you? Was it the last one that he read? Which hint? Yeah, yeah. I mean. So I knew I knew the one about the, the, uh, about the yeah. I knew the one about the outliving every every one of her children except one. I knew that yeah. as soon as she oh, said okay. that I or he said that I knew it. But I didn't know her. I didn't know her first name. I was going to say Marilyn, but couldn't come yeah. up with it. Duh. Yeah, the Peterson house was where Lincoln died. Right, right. The that was have you guys have you guys been to DC to see that? Never been. Oh, I need, need to get out there. It's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. So that's not in Branson. <laughs> not in Branson, <laughs> no. What's that? Probably a replica in Branson. Yeah, there's a yeah. there's a there, there's a wax museum with uh, with uh, oh, geez. Abe there and good old Abe. <laughs> good old Abe. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> so we got Ryan with one and Ben with one. And we're on item number five. Clue number one. He has appeared in over 50 movies and television shows. Matt. Go ahead, Matt. Martin Lawrence. That is incorrect. That was a good guess. Clue number two. His football coach gave him this nickname. Clue number three. Uh, also known as Michael Lee Aday. Clue number four. Would do anything for love. Ryan. Go ahead, Ryan. Meatloaf. That is correct. <laughs> First music hint, you got it. <laughs> Stinking guy. Give us a little rendition of that, Ryan. 
I don't know. I had I some. Do. I had some high school friends that uh, that really liked that song. They would, they would play it in study hall, so it kind of it kind of echoes in the back chambers of my mind. <laughs> and I really do like. I don't like. I don't like meatloaf the singer. I like meatloaf the meal. It's one of my favorite meals. Football coach, though, uh, that's crazy. I, yeah, I would have never connected him to football. That's for sure. All right. So Ryan with two, Ben with one. Item number six, clue number one. Founded in January 6th, 1914. Clue number two. Sometimes referred to as the thundering herd. Clue number three. Referred to by the New York Times as a sonorous bit of Americana. Clue number four. Rebranded in 2019 by Bank of America. Clue number five. Suspended retail consumers' ability to freely trade stocks during the GameStop short squeeze. Clue number six. Lost $8.4 billion during the subprime mortgage crisis in 2007. Ryan? Go ahead, Ryan. Mortgage and loans? Nope. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Go ahead, Ben. Merrill Lynch. Ooh, that is correct. Ah. Wow. I just kept thinking Morgan Stanley. I couldn't get that out of my <laughs> yeah. mind. I'm like, what is the what is the L? Merrill Lynch. Wow. Yes, that's it. All right, so we got Ben with hold on. How much did they lose in the uh, in that eight four eight point four billion? Wow, the housing crisis. Ouch. All right, so we got a mad dash to this to the end here. We got Ben with two and Ryan with two. All right, Matt, we got to at least get one here. Do, and do we have two questions left? Two left. So someone, we could get a three way tie here potentially, oh, or we could let's do uh, it. Let's do it. We could. Uh, yeah, we could have some fun with this. So let's go. Item number seven. Clue number one. Born on September 23rd, 1958 in McDonald, Pennsylvania. Clue number two. Initially decided to walk on as a football player at Purdue University. Clue number three was the linebackers coach for Idaho State University. Clue number four, NFL's coach of the year in 2009. Clue number five. His seven postseason losses are the most of NFL head coaches who have not won a playoff game. Ryan. I thought I heard Matt first. Uh, that is truthfully. That'd in, be Marv Levy. 
and that would be incorrect. Oh my. Really? I don't know if Marv Leedley was coaching in 2009. Ryan? Do I get a chance now, or yep, do we yep. go to the you, next You rang in. Yeah. You rang uh, in. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you were thinking, Ryan? Yeah. But but the age is too young. That's the yeah, problem. Yeah, you're right. You're right now that I think about it. Um, Three, two, one. All right. So it's Ben. Or I'm, yeah, Ben and Jeremy on last clue here. Clue number six guided the Bengals to four division titles. Oh, Ben. Uh, Jeepers. Did I hear Ben? Ben. Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis is correct. That puts Ben with three. Uh, I can see his stinking face, too. (laughs) (laughs) So what? It's like, so Ryan, if Ryan gets this one, then it would go to a tie break. Oh, that is true, yeah. Right? Right? You are correct. Yes, you are correct. So we got one more chance here. Item number eight, clue number one. Twelve men have done this. Clue number two. In 1951, author Arthur C. Clarke forecast this would happen by 1978. Jeremy. Oh, never mind. Can I no. re- can I recount? <laughs> Matt. I, I'm up after him. Jeremy, go. Ryan. I already know mine's off. I can't. No. Okay. You forfeit your... Matt? So I'm, up, I'm up. Moon landing. That is correct. Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! I'm always last, but I get one at least. I was going to say Mars landing, and then you said 12 people have done it. I'm like, wait a minute. It can't be Mars. <laughs> what am I thinking? And then yeah, the just rover thinking, just landed last week. I know. I was thinking, I was thinking lunar landing, but I hate these initial games. <laughs> Killing me. That's it. Is- is that it? Ben won, or yeah, Ben won again. That was You're welcome, Ben. That was the eight, eight <laughs> item. <laughs> the roomie saves the day. Unless, uh, unless I go for, oh, wait, you know, there's a daily double here on <laughs> item number nine. Oh, I love it. Let's go. Let's go. Yes. Item number nine, a three clue. I just uncovered this. This is just breaking. A three clue daily double. Item number nine. So, here we go. So this is worth double for everybody. This is worth double for everybody. Oh, oh, Hold on your oh, seats. Man. Here we go. Item okay. number nine. Clue number one. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's got to go with it. Yeah. He's yeah. got to give an answer. Yeah. Mike Lindell. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he gets it. He gets it. You, this know my, it. you, you got my screen on on, on your screen. There I, is, there's no, no I way. had that there in my is. mind. As soon as you said ML, I'm like, Mike Lindell has gotta be it. And then nothing. Let, let's think yeah, let's oh. think who, let's there think be. way. I, hey. It has to be. Let, is, let's think who Don is. Yeah. It is definitely Mike Lindell. Guaranteed. I man, is that correct? I still haven't heard a correct answer. Yet. Oh come on, you, you look at him. That is correct, Mike Liddell. <laughs> now call me Ryan, but there's shenanigans going on. You didn't even have one word of the first clue out yet. I didn't need it. I know the clue giver. I didn't need it. I, I'm with you, Ben. I had that. I had that. I was waiting to hear. You know, like just a couple of 
couple of hints here, but man. Wow, no need, no need to ask what's on the menu tonight because it's smelling fishy in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yep. That's dicey. Oh. That's dicey. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> the first time in trivia history I sympathize with Ryan. It's unbelievable. Finally. That's un- Finally. <laughs> There's just no way. Bonus. Well. <laughs> bonus. <laughs> bonus. That was great. No, Ben, I'm with wow. you. I, so, Jeremy, you were sitting on Lindell too, huh? I did. I had. I actually had Mike Lindell because when he said that, I'm thinking, okay, ML. All right, who do I know? I'm just, I'm just like, you know, thinking wow. through names. But man, well, if Matt wouldn't have chimed in on moon, moon landing. I had that one, but he decided to wake up after a three week slumber. So, that, that <laughs> yeah, I got stuff. one last week. I got one last week <laughs> yeah, too. Pal. That's true. Wasn't yeah. that after the buzzer? No, 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 it, it was, counted. It was uh, really it's legit. Yeah, it was. It was the baseball one. It was a squeeze play that I the got one that you did. You get. and Ethan. Yeah, that's right. I was sleep. Right? I was slumbering so, at that time. You're the one that was asleep at the wheel. I'm. I'm on a Star Crunch uh, overdose right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it looks like uh, we're moving on to uh, calling your shot. Okay, calling your shot this week. Where you're going to have a. Special focus as uh, this past week we lost the the great Rush Limbaugh, um, just a, a pioneer in talk radio and conservative thought. I I'd been close to Rush, obviously not personally, but I, I followed him since '93, and I got introduced to him. Actually, he was also doing a TV show at that time, and so a buddy of mine used to record his TV shows, and then I'd get to see them, and I just got such a kick out of him. You know, I didn't, I didn't agree with everything you say. He'd go a little over the top at times, but he, he just was an unbelievable combination of uh, intellect, humor, conservatism. And he had such a love for our country that uh, I, I really enjoyed listening to him. And it, I don't usually get too distraught uh, when celebrities die. I mean, I, I, I grieve for their soul if they don't know the Lord, of course. Um, but, you know, some people get so wrapped up into celebrity and it's just not me. But I really did find myself somewhat moved by the loss of by the loss of Limbaugh. I mean, he was the predecessor for everything we know media wise. It's conservative before before him. There just wasn't anything there. You had you had basically three national news networks and you had CNN. And that was slanted, maybe not as dr- drastically or dramatically, but it was slanted to the left. And for those people like myself who are conservative, it was so refreshing to hear somebody who actually said a lot of the things we believed in. And uh, I, I really appreciated Rush, even as a, as a teenager. Uh, so his loss this week, um, it, it, it impacted me. And I, I just wanted to reflect. And, and during this version of Calling Your Shot, give everyone a chance to look back and say, hey, Here's the radio personality I've enjoyed the most in my life for whatever reason. So I've already I've already kind of shared a little bit about who who mine was. Uh, so I'll I'll take my name off the board. But we'll we'll go down the line here. I'm interested to hear. Might be sports related. Might be uh, po- politics related. Uh, maybe some of you like weather, and there's a, a weather radio personality. Who knows? It could be it could be anything. So uh, Matt, how about you? Who is uh, who's your all time favorite radio personality? Well, I've got a couple of honorable mentions. I think as a young boy, uh, we listened to uh, WCTS uh, on Saturday mornings, and 
Did any of you guys listen to Uncle Charlie's Story Hour? Oh yeah. Oh, Uncle Charlie was uh, he could he could spin uh, he could spin a tail. Um, and so he was great uh, from a radio side. He was probably my uh, my first uh, my first first love there. Uh, we used to spend a lot of time listening. But then, yeah, uh, you know, you know, dad would have the radio on out in the garage. We'd be out doing, you know, we had, we had a ton of a ton of uh, large, large oak trees and uh, in our yard. And so we were raking, it seemed like every Saturday during the fall. But we had WCCO on and we'd be listening to the Golden Gopher games or or whatever, but a guy by the name of Steve Cannon uh, was a longtime uh, radio host in uh, Minneapolis. Uh, actually, started off, and I didn't know know this, with KSTP uh, on the AM dial, and switched over to WCCO for most of his career. And he uh, he was a character. He uh, he self voiced different characters uh, such as Ma Linger, Backlash Larue, and Morgan Mundane. And he was, he, I just I just loved his goofiness, and it was and it was great. And as a young kid, I didn't know. I thought it, there was two guys and. Yeah, Steve Cannon would do two guys, and then another guy would do the other, the other two. And then my dad was like, "No, he he does all the voices." I'm like, "He does all the voices? That was amazing." Um, and then I think most recently, uh, you know, uh, from a sports side, and I listened to him kind of on again, off again. But Dan Cole, the common man, um, he's just got got a lot of zaniness and uh, the pre- the preposterous uh, the statement of the year tournament, which is like the uh, which is like the the NCAA tournament that he does uh, he does the whole bracket and it's uh, it's it's pretty great stuff. So um, he always have the, he always has some of the best montages too. If the Vikings win or the Vikings lose, uh, th- those are just absolutely classic. I play I play those for the guys down in Ohio and they they get a kick out of them. It leads up to Dan Cole. Dan Cole is uh, is uh, is the top for me. He's got one of the funniest bits that I've ever heard on the radio when he, and it was after the Vikings lost to the Arizona Cardinals. Remember that, that knocked him out of the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, And (laughs) so he comes in and he, of course he knows this, but he comes in the next day and he turned this TV off. You know, he, he comes on the, on the radio saying he turned his TV off, you know, a minute or two before the game ended. And he thinks that the Vikings won. And so he's all excited and everything like that and acting like for the, like the first half hour of the show, like the Vikings had won. It was so funny. It was just classic, classic comment. It was funny. He's great. Um, I remember Morgan Mundane, but I I do not remember the other characters that Cannon did. But yeah, that brings back some good memories too, the childhood. Okay, Ben, how about you? So I had two that came to my mind. Uh, the first one is maybe an honorable mention, but has, does anybody else every once in a while just – Maybe you're not in uh, your local area, so you're out of town. You're just flipping through the radio stations, and you catch Delilah on always <laughs> picking. I mean, she always picks the perfect song for whatever the situation is, whether it's an anniversary or a breakup or yes. a birthday. It is the perfect song. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes. I'm, yes. Uh, that's uh, here. Quick story. So I, I bought, I spent my hard earned paper out money on a, on a Sanyo uh, boom box with detachable speakers, dual cassette deck. And I would sit up at night and I'd have my cassette tape in and then Delilah would talk and I would hit record right before <laughs> the song would start. And I'd make my mixtape and she was good for two to three songs a night, man. I made mixtapes. I was churning them things out, man. Cause she did play some bangers. Yeah, she was great. They're not bangers. Oh man. <laughs> 102.9 WLTE in the cities, baby. Yeah. It's Delilah at night. She's got it going oh, on. Wow. Yeah, she, does. She, she does. Oh, She's just, fantastic. She pulled it. 
Yes, Ben, great call. I had forgotten about that. Well, well done. And then if we're going more to a like talk radio or for me, it'd be sports radio station. I, I would have to pick a, another host on uh, KFAN. Uh, Matt picked Dan Cole, but for me, it's Dan Barrero, who's on after Dan Cole. He I, I enjoy listening to his show. He does a really nice job mixing in sports and then a lot of current events and um, politics and and all kinds of things. He mixes a lot in, has some great guests, and uh, I enjoy listening to his shows in the afternoons. Okay. Yeah. Nice, I, nice I, combination. Uh, for, for Dan, I, I like his uh, done as a society. Those are always uh, those are always interesting to listen to as well. Yeah. I, at the outset, I kind of gave some options like political and weather and sports. So Ben coming here with Delilah, that, that, that was unexpected. Thank you, Ben. Well, I, just, and I couldn't resist. She just, again, well, it's yeah. the perfect song for, at the perfect time, right. every time. Right. It's almost like the Holy Spirit is working through her. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, preach. <laughs> Thank you for doing a, an Ethan for us. Oh, that's well. right. You're, shake that bush. I <laughs> yeah. that's, Notice I didn't say it is like it. I said it's almost. I mean, just the way she has that ability to touch your heart when you need it the most. Oh, Jeremy. Geez. Put Jer- Jeremy, pu- pull us out of this sandbox here. Yeah, I, I will. And I'm going to do my best impersonation of this. And that's the rest of the story. Good day. <laughs> Paul Harvey. Love that guy. I would listen to him in my dad's beat up tiny little pickup truck when we were going to work. And he would always have it on KTAR 620 AM. Oh, Paul. We, my dad and I would not talk in the truck. It was like, you know, we would talk through like, I don't know, just looks or something and we would always just be quiet but it seems like we always got out of the truck and had a it was felt like we had a conversation but i'm pretty sure paul harvey was the one that was speaking to us and i love that i love that that old time voice i loved his stories i loved i loved the way he said it and i know i know rush actually appreciated uh paul harvey and and met him and he was of course in the hall of fame the radio hall of fame and all those things and his his uh, Paul Harvey's son has has also knew Rush well and and some of the the current guys uh, that are out there today. But anyway, for me, it's Paul Harvey, hands down. Sen- sentimental sentimental reasons, but yeah, loved him. Yeah, do you remember that um, American Farmer Super Bowl commercial from a couple of years ago with they did the Paul yes. Harvey yep. audio? That was oh, really yeah. cool. Yeah, that was that was a nice commercial. Great. <laughs> So, Jeremy, quick question for you. When you were listening to Paul Harvey, did you have your uh, Sanyo boombox on the tape and recording? And uh, did he have a bunch of bangers you were able to? <laughs> Every time, man, I was kicking those tapes out. Those are mixers. I was shelling them out at our Christian school like nobody's biz. <laughs> they were hot. <laughs> That's great. Don, how about you? I'm going to go with uh, a guy, a local guy here. His name is Joe Suchere. He was uh, he was on uh, the uh, fifteen hundred dial here in the AM AM side of things for a long time. He's he's got a he went podcast now I think, but uh, boy, I I just enjoyed I always enjoyed listening to him. Um, he could always make me laugh, um, and I I spent a lot of time in the car for ten years going from from St. Paul to to home, and sometimes that would be a anywhere from a forty five minute to an hour and a half drive, and and he always made it enjoyable. So. Uh, I would have to say Joe Suture that is Garage Logic. That was it was a that was a yeah. Thing. That was a good that was a good show, Don. No yeah. doubt. 
That's a good one. Did him and was, was it him and did him and Royce get together? Yeah, they got together. Did they have a show. Yeah, they were solid. They would have some time together. Yeah, um, but man, Suture's stories about uh, Sid Hartman were classic. I mean, he could he has some of the best stories, Sid Hartman stories of all time. I man, I just just it just cracks me up. Yeah, that's the first name I don't recognize. But Ben, you were nodding. Do you know Suture as well? Yeah, I listened to him. I've, I've heard him a little bit here and there. He's, yeah, like Don said, kind of been on the counter sports radio to K-Fan. So I didn't hear him a lot because I listened to K-Fan a little more. But I've heard, I've heard of him for sure. He was a, he, he, he wrote, he was a, a paper guy for, for to start and then, uh, and then uh, went over to radio. Just like Royce and Sid and, and uh, Barrero. Yeah, Barrero. Yep. yep. That's that's pretty neat. Well, uh, again, this is kind of in, in honor of, of Rush Limbaugh and what he's done for Talk Radio. I think he's opened up a lot of pathways for people and just made it more of a an open medium for people to utilize. And so it's good to kind of hear the variety of what, what you all listen to and have listened to over the years. So with that, I'll turn it over to uh, Ben for the Feel Good Story of the Week. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, so as you've probably all seen over the last week or so some of the severe cold temperatures and things going on all over the country. I think one day I saw a graphic of all the winter storm warnings and it was like almost every county of the entire U.S. other than maybe Minnesota wasn't on it that day but Texas and lots of places had some really severe weather. So I've seen a lot of kind of neat stories in the last week about how neighbors are helping neighbors out and doing things to try to get through those times, especially in the parts of the country that aren't used to those temperatures. But one that I thought was kind of neat um, is a story from uh, Mississippi. And this is a, a story of a, a woman who's uh, employed at a nursing home. And with all the snow, they weren't able to get to work, but she was uh, so dedicated to her work and really enjoyed taking care of the patients and, and felt, you know, that was really her mission was to work at that nursing home. She drove a four-wheeler 25 miles to work in sub-freezing conditions uh, in Mississippi just to make it into work because she wanted to make sure to get in that day and take care of her uh, residents that live at that nursing home. So, you know, when I think about uh, some days, maybe it, I'm not as keen of going into the office or doing whatever for work. That, that was an inspiring one that I saw that she um, was so dedicated, loves the work that she does, that she kind of went way above and beyond, came in 25 miles and freezing cold temperatures on a four-wheeler just to get into work and work that day. So that's my feel-good story of the week for this week. That's great. Yeah, I got to package it up for the uh, the younger generation, uh, finding a lot of reasons not to come into work, and uh, that's great dedication. All righty, we're going to move into uh, Fix Your Eyes. Uh, I'm going to read, read a passage. We're going to take a look at Galatians 5, 16 through 26. And uh, a couple of questions that, that I'll, I'll, I'll share with you right now uh, as we're reading it. Question number one, how do we crucify the flesh? Is it already done or something that we need to do? And then the second question kind of revolves a little bit later in that passage says, how do we keep in step with the spirit? Uh, it says walk by the spirit, but then also keep in step with the spirit. So uh, is that different than walk by the spirit? So let's read the passage and then we'll, uh, we'll open it up to have some discussion as we, uh, again, dive deep into sanctification. But 
Uh, Galatians 5, 16 through 26 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So I just kind of kind of open it up, uh, you know, thoughts in the passage, and then especially as it relates to, you know, crucifying the flesh. How do we do that? What what, what does that look like? And then you know, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit? Are those one and the same? Are they two different Two different meanings. What did what did Paul mean by that? So Ryan, we'll have you kind of take a, a dive into it first and kind of give some thoughts, and we'll we'll just kind of work this passage out. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, and this this passage does provide a lot of insight, I think, into the the overall topic we're trying to address here. We're talking about keeping in step with the Spirit. I think that was one of the ideas you had put forward here recently with this. You know, this passage lists off traits of the flesh. And, you know, if you look at the pattern of these traits, what, how could you summarize that? And I, I would say it's an overindulgence of, of oneself and the fleshly desires we have within ourselves. And if we're keeping in step with the Spirit, we are exchanging those desires with the fruit of the Spirit. And what what pattern do those fruits show, the fruits of the Spirit, in, in stark contrast to the patterns we saw with the overindulgence of self? Uh, I, I see the fruits of the Spirit turning into things that reflect Christ and, and these characteristics that honor Him and actually suppress, and like I said earlier, exchange those flesh-focused traits. And going back to something you had mentioned earlier, Matt, I believe when a person is saved, yes, they have, in a sense, uh, crucified the, the, the deeds of the flesh. But the problem is we still live in the flesh, and it is a day-to-day decision we make. It's a day-to-day battle we all face as Christians. So before salvation, the difference is this, as I understand it, we don't have the ability to crucify the deeds of the flesh. Once we are saved, the Spirit gives us the ability to do that. And He gives us the desire to do these things, these these fruits of the Spirit, to pursue after these, to have a love and a passion for these things, in contrast to where we were before salvation, which is self-indulgence. It's living for the flesh. And of course, these, you know, you go all over the New Testament, Galatians 5, Many of these verses deal with it. Paul in Romans 6 and 7 deals with it there. 
it's a constant scene. It's a constant theme, which tells you a lot, right? That this is a battle we are all facing to put down the flesh, to crucify the flesh each day and to rely on the, the, the fruits of the spirit that he enables through our lives. And if it weren't an issue, if this question weren't coming to us tonight, uh, I don't think that Paul would have taken the time in many books of the New Testament to address it. So, so hopefully I've, I've tried to answer the best that I understand it. And then if you go into chapter six, just with a little bit more of the context, we can kind of see that focus. Remember, we talked about too much focus on ourselves and the flesh um, and overindulgence of self, as I mentioned before. And even into chapter six, where does he go next? He talks about, hey, bear each other's burdens. So fulfill the law of Christ. We're looking at others. We're, we're, we're following the leading of the Holy Spirit within us. And then in verse 10 of chapter six, Again, we're looking outwardly again. It says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so uh, it's it's a challenge. Uh, I, I'll be the first one to admit that. That's cool, right? I like I like um, what you said there. And, and I love the wording that, that Paul uses uh, when he says, crucify the, fle- the flesh, just that imagery. The, it's really, um, I think it's poignant in the fact that um, when we think about it, you're basically like starving out the flesh, right? I mean, you're, I think I've, I've read somewhere where it was like, if you starve the flesh while feeding the spirit, the spirit will obviously begin to take over and, and overpower the flesh. And I think of the imagery of what uh, fasting does, because that's literally what you're doing. When you're fasting, you are starving your the flesh while you know, feeding your, the spirit with prayer and, and uh, reading your Bible and submission and humility. I mean, you're just uh, completely going all in, you know, negating your, your fleshly needs of, uh, you know, food and, and nourishment to, in order to feed the spirit. And so I love that imagery that he uses in crucifying the flesh. And then I just wanted to say, yeah, I just thought that the, the fasting thing I thought was a, is an interesting look into, you know, how that can relate. And Don, I would add to that, you know, when you look at the other phrase that Matt was talking about with keep in step, um, one of the commentaries I read talked about that being that you are marching step in step with your commander. And so one of the applications of that is we're not just looking to keep in step once a week on Sundays or periodically, you know, it's a, it's a step-by-step thing. So on a daily basis, in, in every different aspect of your life, you are trying to, you know, let that live by the Spirit in all of those situations. So, and that, I think, plays right into the crucify the flesh part of it, where as you continually do more and more in step with the commander, that is putting away that flesh or human side, you know, kind of the sin nature side of us and dwelling more and prioritizing and striving to walk step in step with what Jesus and how the Holy Spirit is guiding us on a regular daily basis. Yeah, those are good. Those are good things. My mind went to verse 16 and then to verse 24. And and the idea of walking, you know, the, the, the Greek there with the idea of habitual action that is in step with progress. So if we are, we are habitually doing that, I mean, it's on a, on a, I mean, 
how often do you walk? I mean, you, you walk all the time. So it's, it's that kind of habit uh, with progress, but the progress he links to the spirit. So he says, walk in the spirit, have that habitual growing sanctification that is by the spirit that has indwelled you. And I believe he literally takes residence in me, in my heart, and my, you know, flesh out my actions. So he gives the naughty list and he gives the great list. And there's two things that are, are yes, that tension, that war that reigns here on this earth that one day will not reign in our mortal bodies. That will be completely taken away from us and there will be no sin. Looking forward to that. But until that day, we habitually walk in progressive sanctification is how I look at it. And then when he says in verse 24, that those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified, have put to death the flesh. And then he ties it back in verse 25. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So we're walking in progress habitually like that. We, if we do that, I think it very much is in link with our actions. You can't separate the two. What separates the two is when we transgress that and we stop habitually walking with the Spirit and we immediately go to that list. And of that list, I think there are some subtle things that grab us first. And I would argue that perhaps uh, strife, idolatry, enmity, jealousy are the are the ones that start to creep in. And I like the word that Ben used earlier, the, and it had nothing to do with this, but tentacles that just start to surround. And then before you know it, boom, the ugly, ugly sins are right there. And you're willing to make that step because you've already said, I don't need to take the step with the Holy Spirit today. I'm going to gratify the flesh because that is what my body is meant to do under sin. So when you crucify that, man, it's done. You you can't do that anymore. Your flesh will do that, but your indwelt heart with the Holy Spirit ought not. So I link verse 16 and uh, the last verse, so walk in step with the Spirit. So let us also keep in step with the Spirit as two complete thoughts there. What interrupts it is my sin. Lord, help me not sin. Yeah, no, definitely some good thoughts. Just just kind of a question. Again, is this, you know, it's got the past tense language and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, meaning that's it's done. Is is it truly done or is it something we need to do? Because I think in other places, Paul, it, it seems a bit more active. So why why in some cases in the New Testament is it seem like it's done? And in other cases, um, it seems like it's it's something we still need to do. Why, why, why aren't all the tenses line up? I think it's because there's four different uses of the word crucified. So you have to understand the context of what he's saying in this idea that on the cross, Paul's looking back to the cross and say, uh, just like Christ was crucified on the cross and is no longer in the flesh, uh, he is now present with, with God and he is in his glorified bodies. But because we are not in that scenario, we still have this mortal body to deal with. So you have to really look at what word for crucified you're dealing with. He's not saying the battle is completely done back on the cross, meaning you're not going to have a, a problem with this. He's saying that you are going to have the problem. So that's why you have to have the habitual walking with Christ and progressive sanctification. So walk in the Spirit. Walk in the steps of the Spirit. I have a, a picture in my office 
up in my uh, up in my my bookshelf that has a, a father walking on a beach, and right behind him, in the father's footsteps in the sand, is the sun. And I can't think of a better reminder every day that I need to walk in my father's footsteps. Not just my physical father, which I I do in many ways, uh, because he was a good godly man, but. My my heavenly Father, he he is my Abba Father, and so I gotta I gotta do that. So my visual reminder of having that little sign or whatever poster in my uh, or little framed print in my bookcase um, reminds me of that often. Yeah, there's I don't even know if I can put it into words what I'm what I'm thinking right now, but I'll try. And I appreciated the message I heard today in church from our pastor, and he was he's pushing through Matthew 16. Just talking about how the physical world doesn't matter. I mean, really, in reality, everything that matters is in eternity is a spiritual issue. Okay, mm-hmm. so what are we going to focus on? And I think when it gets back to talking about the tenses used of crucifying, there is what else does the New Testament say? We are seated in heavenly places, right? What Christ has done, we we are now seated. So there's a spiritual reality about what our lives are. And yet, as Jeremy said, we're still in the flesh, though. We're still dealing with physicality. And we've got these desires, you know, whether they be sexual, whether they be food, these fleshly needs and desires that we have. And so it is incumbent upon us. And I think that's why Paul says, hey, here's the reality. This has been crucified when Christ died on the cross and you are in him. These things have been crucified. But you are still on the earth and you're dealing with this. But but knowing that, knowing that they have been crucified and you have the victory over them, now it's incumbent upon you to live after the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. And so that that that's, again, I'm not doing it justice with my words, but I, I'm trying to see a parallel there to the spiritual reality that should be our focus as we walk in this earth. Yeah, Casey and I were talking, have you guys ever done anything with like Lent? Uh, you know, it's kind of like I think we think of like a Catholic uh, Catholic thing. Uh, but Casey, I had and it's always been something I've wanted to do and I've never really done anything tangible. And we may start. I think it what kicked off what this past Wednesday, Wednesday. or. Yep. Yeah, was was kind of like Ash Wednesday to kind of start off. But it, it was interesting. I think, uh, Don, you had brought up fasting. Right. And so we talked about, you know, the kind of the, the purpose of Lent is not so much ceremonial, but it's meant to kind of help let's, let's, let's not do one thing. So we can focus on what's coming. The, the, the amazing story of, you know, Jesus walking to Jerusalem, accepting all the accolades on Palm Sunday. And then over the course of a couple of days, like the script just completely flips around and he's beaten and he's before the, before Pilate and before the Jewish people, before the Romans, he's crucified the hope is lost from the disciples. And then on Sunday, everything flips again and he's in his resurrection. I think, I think we're not meant, it's not meant just to be like a one day. Okay. This is good Friday. Let me, it's, it's meant to prepare our minds for that. And I think we, we probably get after uh, the Catholics a little bit with all the liturgy and such, but I think there is some value in, in preparing the mind uh, for those things. And so I think this passage and it's like other passages too, like put off and put on, Casey brought up the good point. Like, it's not just enough to put off, which I think a lot of people think I want to give this up for Lent. What are you going to put on in its place? Right. How, how are you going to, how are you going to feed, you know, what, what are you going to feed yourself as well? And 
it just kind of engaging with it. How do we keep in step with the spirit? I listened to a good resource. I'll share it with you. It's uh, again, I'm a, I'm a Piper guy, so <laughs> you're going to hear a lot from him. But his he had a, a sermon called "Kill Sin with the Word of God," and it's based out of Romans eight ten through seventeen. But he kind of goes all across the the New Testament. And his point was, he said, "How how does the spirit work?" Right. So the spirit works through the Word of God is 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 basically his point. And so his challenge as he was preaching to to his church was church get get into the word and i think i think of that too i think okay i all, my default is to think all these things i should not do but i'm not very intentional on the things that i'm putting into my into my mind as much as i need to be and so the challenge for me as i kind of read through this was okay i want to i want to live by the spirit but also keep in step with the spirit and jeremy i appreciate what you said it's that step by step Right. So I think the challenge for us, the challenge for me is what am I doing each and every day, each and every hour, each and every minute to keep those things, you know, forefront in my mind. And and again, I think the word of God has got to be uh, a critical part of that because that, that helps us keep in step with the spirit. I think the spirit uh, works through the word of God. And so um, it's not something out there. The The Holy Spirit is is uh, is very God. Uh, in his essence, and I think he works through the Word of God. So, just an encouragement that we that we have the Word of God in our hearts and lives, and, and not just leading up to Easter and, and those types of things, but uh, certainly all throughout the uh, all throughout the year. So, yeah, great passage in Galatians five. Guys, appreciate uh, your guys' thoughts on it, um, and just encourage everybody to just get into the Word of God because uh, that's that's you know, to whom shall we go? Yeah, Jesus, he he has the words of eternal life. That's a wrap on episode 25 on this, the 21st day of February, year of our Lord, 2021. This was Six in the Mix, talking faith, family, sports, and politics. Find our episodes on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. Review us and leave a comment. Visit our Facebook page at Six in the Mix Podcast and comment on what topics you'd like us to discuss. We are also on Twitter at Six in the Mix Pod. Join us on our journey.